Jesus House in Pursuit of God Discovering Purpose Maximizing Potential Impacting Lives This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London God bless you Amen. Praise God. Amen. I wanted to, uh, before I share the word that I have to share with you, and uh, uh, it will be a brief word, I wanted to read to you um, a word that was sent to me from an English friend of mine because I feel that it will encourage us, uh, it will encourage you as it encouraged me. Um, I haven't asked his permission to read it publicly, so I, I, I know he wouldn't mind, but I'll, I'll, I'll skip his name. Um, he's someone that I consider a friend, uh, a minister of the gospel, somebody who has such a strong prophetic grace upon his life. And he starts by saying to me, greetings, my friend, I would like to submit a word to you. And that's the proper way to do it, to submit a word, because the Bible says we should test it by the Spirit. I would like to submit a word to you. I'm not in the habit of forwarding every word the Lord gives me unless I feel it has particular significance. This, I believe, is one of those times. I heard the Lord say, you will not advance and go higher in this next season without transparency accountability, integrity, and purity. Some will be promoted in this time, but others will be stepped down and removed. I saw some who began to fight because they did not want to lose influence, but like Saul who grabbed the hem of Samuel's garment, they will have their influence torn from them. A big shake-up is coming not just to the body of Christ, but also to politics and in the marketplace. I saw a call to true purity being established in the hearts of many. There is a cry for that which is pure and uncorrupted. I saw a shaking and a filtering and things being brought up to the surface. I heard the Lord say, see and repent or be removed. Hearts and motives will be tested. The testing and fire of this time is exposing those who are simply fulfilling a function and those who are fulfilling a call, many will go through major life trajectory changes. The board is being reset for the next battle and the pieces are being set in place. There are those who have faithfully served in this last season like pawns on a chessboard protecting the king. Because they have faithfully served, they will now be promoted to take up kingdom governing roles in the new. I heard God say, I'm creating new spaces for new faces. Promotions are happening in the hidden secret place for at the same time that the love of many has grown cold, I have yet others who have grown white hot. The space in time has created in them a spiritual womb. For many shall look back at this year as the year of the womb and the year of my face. The year of the womb because many will see new things born. I see new churches being planted, new businesses, new partnerships, and strategic alliances being brought to birth between individuals, churches, organizations, cities, and nations. The year of his face, because I saw a worship 
reformation coming into the lives of God's people and the church. I saw a stripping back to intimacy and a casting aside of the spirit of performance and entertainment. I heard the term simple worship. What I saw was not pretty. Lots of tears and sobbing as people returned to the adoration of the king and a turning away from the idol of platforms and performance. For there are some who have tried to turn intimacy into a marketplace. Those tables will be overturned. I then saw a third wave rise up as we enter into 2022. The Lord said this is the year, that 2022, of the open door. A fresh global move of mission will take place on the local level and on the international level. I saw many answering the call and moving into new cities and nations to answer the call to disciple the nations. I saw marketplace mission and the birthing of new ways to reach those in the marketplace. It was mission birthed in the marketplace for the marketplace. I then saw a map of the whole world. It was like looking at the ocean in a storm. Massive waves came up in the midst of the nations. I heard the Lord say, my church thrives best in times of unrest. Amen. And so, Father, we just thank you um, for that word. Lord, we, we tested it by your spirit. We believe it is from you. We ask that you would just help us, O oh God, to align with your plans and your purposes, Heavenly Father. As you birth the new, O oh God. And whatever the cost, Lord, let's pay it, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Well, let's... let's um, Get ready to hear um, the word of God. I pray the word encourages you. Um, over the next um, few weeks, I'm going to be talking about the Holy Spirit with uh, one interruption. Uh, the Sunday that I, I, I go, that we go back into the power of fasting and prayer. Um, we'll be talking about the Holy Spirit because I, I believe without a shadow of doubt that the single most important determinant of how your new season turns out is the Holy Spirit. The most important person on this journey, as we journey into the new, is the Holy Spirit. The most important relationship that we can get into that will put us on a good platform, the right platform, to enter what God has planned for us, to become who God has destined we should become, is the relationship with the Holy Spirit. Without a doubt, it is God's design for His children that we live by His Spirit. We are empowered by His Spirit. And we will talk about all the many things that come as a benefit uh, when we get our relationship with the Holy Spirit right. We'll talk about his purpose, what he was sent here to do. And you know, it's a clear pattern of God, right? If you go all the way back to the beginning, that when God does things, the Trinity works together. You, the, 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 the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And you know, the first way something is done sets a pattern for us, gives us a bit of understanding. And whilst this isn't the sermon, 
um, if you go back to the beginning in Genesis, the first chapter, you get a glimpse of this, this, this working together, this unity of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know the, the scriptures, Genesis 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. It was a high, it was, things were, were dark. They were formless. It, it was void. It was wasteland. It wasn't anything like God wanted it to be for what God wanted to do. And how did change come about? The Bible says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. There, of course, the Bible, the Apostle John, makes us understand that in that process that brought about change, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was very much involved. He says in John 1, verses 1 to 3, In the beginning was the Word, our Lord and Savior, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. And so, in that picture that the Bible paints at the beginning, there was, of course, the Word, because He was with God, and he, he, the, the Bible tells us He is God, in much the same way as the Holy Spirit is God, and God the Father is God. And the three of them together came, came, came together to birth this change that prepared a perfect environment for God's masterpiece of man to be created and put into. But that is in the sermon for today, maybe another day. It was just to say that there is nothing that can happen without the active participation of the Spirit of God. There's nothing that happens. The Spirit of God is hovering over this dysfunctional state of affairs and change starts to come. And we take that into our own lives. We understand that if we're expecting change, if we're expecting to move, if we're expecting things to turn around, if we're expecting some transformation, it cannot be done without the Spirit of God. And you know, the Bible helps us understand that, in a sense, the, the, the whole of life as we know it, in a sense, can be broken into three dispensations. Of the first dispensation, the Old Testament, we all know it was the time of the Father. It wasn't that the Son wasn't there. Of course, we have examples of where pre-incarnate Christ appeared. It was Christ who appeared. Um, the encounter that, that, that Joshua had as he walked around the walls of Jericho wasn't an encounter with any angel. It was an encounter with pre-incarnate Christ. And of course, we see examples of where the Spirit of God didn't just move, but was mentioned particularly, uh, where the Spirit of God would come upon a person and the person would be transformed and become a new person, where there would be a move of the Spirit of God, and the Bible would clearly reference that. But if we look at the totality of it, it was really the time of God the Father. That was His dispensation, although working with the Word, with the Son, and with the Spirit. And then we move from there into the Gospels, and we all very, very clearly understand that this is the dispensation of the Son. In fact, He came physically, so we have no choice but to understand that this is the dispensation of the Son. He walked the earth, He raised disciples, He taught them, He taught us through them, uh, he, he, he showed that he was the Son of God by the miracles that, that he did. And then that dispensation ends. And the Acts of the Apostles introduces the third dispensation, which continues to now. 
And that third dispensation, as we understand it, is the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. Again, because of the way the Trinity works, none of them makes the other redundant. They don't have the challenges that human nature have. They just, they just understand the, the, the way that they have drawn up the timetable of the ages and how each one would play a particular role at a particular time with the others working with that one and all of them submitting to God the Father. And if anyone explains this clearly to us, it must be our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and that's where I wanted to spend a bit of time. If you'll turn with me to John, the 16th chapter, the 5th to the 7th verse. And I, I pray that these teachings will ignite a hunger in you for the Spirit of God. It can't happen without Him being an active participant. He says in, it says, Jesus says in that scripture, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. If you read verse 7 in the Amplified Classic, and, and I, use that, I, see, I read that to you because it amplifies in a way that brings a better understanding what Jesus was saying. He says, however, I am telling you nothing but the truth when I say it is profitable, good, expedient, advantageous for you that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the comforter, the counselor, the helper, the advocate, the intercessor, the strengthener, the standby will not come to you into close fellowship with you. But if I go away, I will send him to you to be in close fellowship with you. It tells us instantly that there, was, there is a purpose for which he was sent. It tells us very clearly that Jesus understood their timing in heaven and Jesus Despite the disciples not understanding and wanting him to stay, and who wouldn't want him to stay? If you walked with him, talked with him, if you performed ministry with him or under him, if you saw the miracles, of course you would want him to stay. I would, and so would you. But then they didn't understand the timetable of heaven, and Jesus was explaining to them, that I've told you these things, that I am going. I've told you uh, all these things, and, and you have entered so much sorrow. But then what he was saying, you are sorrowful because you don't understand that my going is part of the timetable of heaven, that it is better for you. It's expedient, advantageous. It's profitable to you that I go. Because if I go, then according to the way we have planned it, we can then send the Spirit who will take it to the next stage. He will come and take it to the next level. He will do certain things. He will be, of course, a comforter to you, but he will be a helper as well. Because times will come when you need help. He will be a counselor to bring wise counsel to you, to help you 
navigate complex situations that will arise day to day in life. He will be an advocate speaking on your behalf, putting words in you. Words that you know didn't come from you. An advocate. And he will speak for you where you are not able to be. He will make a case for you. He will be an intercessor because of the role that prayer plays and because of the frailties and the failings of human beings, the weakness of our mortal bodies. He will come and be an intercessor for you. He will be a strengthener to strengthen you when we get weary and tired, when we're on the verge of giving up, when life circumstances seem like they're overwhelming us, when the mountain seems too high. He will be there to strengthen you. And then he will be your standby, just sent to be there for you, to help you fulfill God's plans and purposes in your life, and through you to your generation. And it goes on to say the aim, of course, is that he comes, not just comes and hangs around, not just comes and is resident in our hearts, as he is for every believer, and we'll, 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 we'll find that out in a, in a few minutes. But the aim is that he comes into intimacy, close fellowship. Some translations say he comes to be a friend to you. That's the intention of heaven. But look at the church today. For those who are saved, he has taken residence in their, in their hearts. And we'll see, we'll see that in a, in a few minutes. But can we say that there is intimacy or close fellowship? And these are the questions we are going to have to challenge ourselves with. And there are practical ways to determine whether there's intimacy or close fellowship so that it's not something that is, 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 is up there in the sky. Is he the first person we go to? Do we take our challenges to him? Do we talk to him constantly? What's the state of our communication with him? Are we aware 24-7 of his presence? Or is this just a reminder and we go through life and forget that he's there? Isn't it a tragedy that we have been empowered in this way? But if we ask the Holy Spirit, he would say for a large part of the church, he is redundant in our lives. So Jesus says, I have to go because this is part of our plan. Don't be sorrowful. If you understood what we were planning... If you could see the potential, you would let me go. I have to go. And of course, we know the Bible testifies that he did go. So there's some tweaking that needs to be done to our faith to help us understand that Jesus is no longer here. And even as I say it, somebody's heart started beating faster because the theology can't handle that. But he is no longer here. He has gone. 
And the Bible testifies that he has gone. Acts 1 verse 9 to 11. You know the story. The disciples were watching and he was taken up by a cloud out of their sight. And the angels came, two angels that had observed what had happened and said to them exactly what happened. The way he has gone up to heaven is the same way he's coming back. And he can't go without keeping his promise. And his promise was very clear. If I go, I will send another in my stead. That means instead of me. So a lot of Christians want to relate to him how the disciples related to him. But they didn't have the spirit dwelling in them. So they could relate to him like that. We have the spirit of God as long as we are believers dwelling in our hearts. He says in John 14 verses 15 to 18, If you love me, keep my commandments. It's another sermon on its own as to the yardstick and the measurement of love by God. It's not the songs we sing. It's not our attendance at vigils or church services. It's not how, how much scripture we memorize. Thank God for all those things. The simple measurement of love, as far as God is concerned, and it's not, it's, it's not just said here, it's said in so many places, if you love me, keep my commandments. Do I love God? It's a simple test. Do I keep his commandments? If I don't, then I am deceiving myself as to loving him. And the beauty is that he doesn't expect us to keep the commandments in our own efforts. He knows we will fail. That's why he's provided a helper to help us keep his commandments. He goes on to say, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be, will be, He's, he dwells with you, he's around you, he's saying to the disciples, but until he, was, until he was hanged on the cross, died, resurrected, went up to heaven, he couldn't talk about him being in you. But the moment he died and was resurrected, then the Spirit could come and rest in you and I, as long as we invited him in. Because one thing you will learn about the Holy Spirit over the next so many weeks is that he is genuinely, and pardon the phrase without being irreverent, a gentleman. He never forces his way into anybody's life. He will knock on the door. He will ask whether you will give him space. He will want to know whether you want to invite him in. And as much space as you give him, as much as much of your life as you give him, he will fill your life. 
And then he goes on to make this critical phrase. He says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. He paints a picture of a life without the Spirit of God. A life where a person is not submitted to the Spirit of God, yielded to the Spirit of God, being led by the Spirit of God, hearing from the Spirit of God, being directed by the Spirit of God. He says it is like being an orphan. And the picture is used to paint a state of helplessness, a forlorn state. A state where the person doesn't know what to do. And he kept his promise. That's, that's why you and I have hope. Because he kept his promise to those who had fulfilled the condition for that promise. And you know, there's no better biblical story to drive this home than the encounter between uh, the great teacher of Israel. That's what Jesus called him. Uh, the great teacher of Israel, Nicodemus, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In John, the third chapter. In this encounter that he had with Jesus, Jesus says to him, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. Now, Nicodemus asks him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, you can think that's not a very intelligent answer. And I used to think so. Until I understood who Nicodemus was. Nicodemus was no, no slacker in terms of intellect. He was a scholar par excellence in terms of the Jewish faith. He was so schooled that Jesus referred to him as a teacher of the faith. So his question wasn't one of those silly questions. Can, can I, how am I going to be born again? Do I have to enter my mother's belly? No, no, no. His question was one of theology. He was saying, how is it possible to be reformed in the manner you're speaking? And Jesus goes on to say to him, I'm not talking about reformation of a person. I am talking about transformation of a person. And transformation of a person can only happen by the Spirit of God. A lot of what you see are people who are trying to reform themselves. The world will talk about reforming people. But what brings true change is a transformation of a person. Literally, the person is a new person. That's why the experience that Jesus talks about with Nicodemus, we have come to call a new birth. Literally, the person is born again, and only the Spirit of God can cause a person to be born again. There are many who go to church. There are many who even now might be sitting under the sound of my voice or listening to me. They have made attempts at reformation. But even they will know that there has not really been transformation. I am not a new person. When the Spirit of God gives birth to you, 
You become a new person. All things are passed away. And it happens spiritually automatically. But like the Bible helps us understand, as we commit ourselves to the Word of God by the Spirit, we enter the totality of that new birth. If we don't see changes in our lives, then we are making attempts at reformation, but we have not submitted to the Spirit of God to bring about a transformation. And it's nothing new because the Old Testament, 600 years ago, the prophet Ezekiel was already talking about this. He was already prophesying into the future. A time would come where it wouldn't be this cosmetic reformation, but the time would come when a power would come from God that would actually transform the lives of people. So when people come to an altar and they give their lives and there's no change in their lives, when you find people who say they are saved, but they are still living like a pig in a pigsty. There's something that's not quite right because that transformation has not taken place. The prophet Ezekiel said as he prophesied into the future, Ezekiel, the 36th chapter, verses 25 to 27. He says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. It's a process of transformation. He wasn't saying I will tinker with an old heart. He wasn't saying I will, I will, I will do a makeover with you as a human being. No, he was saying you will be born again. He says I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Now, the challenge that I see is one of concept. What is the biggest challenge I feel that we face in totally embracing and submitting and yielding, especially for those who have the spirit within them already. He's dwelling in them. A bit of a stranger in the house. You know, someone can live with you if you're, if, you're, if you're a landlord. Someone can live with you and you barely see the person. Now and again, you see the person going out to work in the morning. And maybe once every three weeks or so, you have a chance encounter with the person Maybe in the corridor, or maybe if there's a communal kitchen. How many know this, 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 this is real? Talk to me, church. Yeah. And so the person leaves there. But years can go by. And all you know is the person's first name. 
You don't know more than that. Do they have siblings? You're not really sure. Are their parents alive? You don't really know. Where they come from? You're not really sure. You guess. And the truth be told, that's how our relationship is. A lot of us with the Holy Spirit. For those who are already born again. He's in there. The promise has been kept. But he's a stranger. There's no close fellowship and there's certainly no friendship. When was the last time we heard him talk? When was the last time we spoke to him? And so the, the challenge is that concept of the Holy Spirit as a person. And that, I feel, is the big challenge. That, that even for the best of us, we haven't crossed that hurdle of the Holy Spirit as a person. The person sitting next to you, for most of us, is more real to us. And for those of you who are online, the person you know, is more real to us than the reality of the Holy Spirit. But we all know that the spiritual is more real than the natural. So the Holy Spirit is more real as a person than the person sitting next to you. But very few cross that hurdle. And so our relationship with the Holy Spirit at best will be the relationship with some abstract force, some abstract entity. And in our minds, in a, in a mental sense, we, we agree that he is the third person in the Trinity. But if the truth be told, we, we haven't grappled with it and come to an understanding. We get God the Father. Oh, yes, we get God the Father. We get God the Son. Oh, yes, we get God the Son. But this matter of the Holy Spirit, it's a bit fuzzy in our heads. And that fuzziness is created by, by a, a, not being able to grasp this concept of him as a person. A person who has feelings. You see, if we understood that he, we have, that he had feelings, a lot would change in our lives. Because we would know that that action is going to hurt him. It's going to make him sad. And most of us are good people. We don't want God to be sad like that. But if God is some, if the Holy Spirit is some abstract entity that is far away, we don't have to think about his feelings. We don't have to understand and feel it ourselves that that unkind word, unkind gesture, that action, that thing that we thought or did is not just harming people that we know, persons. And you know how you know that we've, got, we've, skew, we've totally messed up this concept is that we will do things that are wrong and we will hide them from those we love. We will hide them from those we know. We don't want them to see that side of our lives. But somehow it, we haven't understood that there is a God in heaven. The Spirit of God sees everything. And whilst we're hiding it from those we know, God, the Spirit, is being grieved because He knows. But as long as He, he, the, he doesn't become a person, we can pretend that He doesn't have feelings, that He doesn't have emotions, 
that he can't get sad, that he can't be grieved, that he can't be upset. But there's so much scripture that tells us that that is not the case. He can be insulted. He can be grieved. He can get upset. He does get upset. Isaiah 63 verse 10. A couple of scriptures and then we're done. Isaiah 63 verse 10. But they rebelled and grieved his spirit, his Holy Spirit. So he turned himself against them as an enemy and he fought against them. <laughs> that's, a, that's a dangerous scripture. Let's not think that there are no consequences. I say to people, God is long-suffering. But there's nowhere that they said God is forever suffering. One day, the cup gets full. And someone might say, what about grace? It's an act of grace that the cup gets full. And he saves you from destroy, destroying yourself. It's just that the manner in which he will do it might not be palatable to you. In Matthew 12, verse 31 and 32, Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, you know, you, can hear, you, you might hear all kinds of teachings about there are sins that God doesn't forgive. The Bible says that every sin God forgives. Once you come to him with a repentant heart, a broken and a contrite heart, the biblical position is he will forgive. But he, he says himself, there is one sin. He says, blaspheme the son. That's, that's, that's really crazy, isn't it? He says, you can blaspheme the son. As long as there's repentance and it's genuine, I will forgive it. He says, but if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, if you call, maybe I should simplify it because blaspheme might now get complex. If you call the Holy Spirit a demon, you attribute the work of the Spirit of God to the demonic. You blaspheme the Holy Spirit. He says, you will not be forgiven in this age and in the age to come, which really is talking about eternity. So there's only one unpardonable sin. Of course you can resist the Holy Spirit. That's why he's a person. You can resist him. Acts 7 verse 51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. He's a person. That's just what we're trying to drive home. You can grieve him. That's what Paul was saying to the church in Ephesus as he warned them. Ephesians 4 verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And we'll talk about the sealing of the saints, the sealing of you and I. Uh, by the Holy Spirit. And when you look at Hebrews 10 verse 29, the Bible talks about insulting the Holy Spirit. It, it's possible. He's a person. 
That's just what we're trying to drive home. He's a person. And if we can make that paradigm shift in our thinking, it totally prepares us for an amazing journey. If we suddenly start to realize he's a person, he is in you, you can't go anywhere without him. When you switch off the lights in that illicit relationship, he is there. Well, if you fiddle the figures, he is there. If you are caustic in your tongue, speaking in a derogatory manner to your husband, and then you come out and try and look good, no, he is there. And he has feelings. And as you do these things, a child of God, he knows the price that was paid for you. The Bible says he's grieved by it. He's saddened by it. And if we can overcome this huddle and begin to see the Spirit of God as a person who is in us if we are born again. And you know, Pentecostals have made the concept of born again something that is it, people, are, people don't even want to hear the term. And the people who are saying it don't even understand what it is. It is just simply a new birth. It is that the Spirit of God has birthed a person. The person has been born of the Spirit, the Bible says. And as a result of that, a transformation has taken place and is continuing. Not a reformation, a transformation. And if we can understand that as we go into this next season, as we press into the new, as we spend time fasting, that our aim is to develop that relationship to a point of intimacy, deep fellowship, close friendship, your best friend. In a natural sense, my wife is my best friend, but I don't want her to be my best friend in an overall sense. I want that to be the Holy Spirit, to be my best friend. And what a life when the Holy Spirit is your best friend. Hallelujah. Amen. Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless you. Sweet Holy Spirit, come. Even now, Holy Spirit, as we start this journey to understanding our relationship with you, even now, we ask that you will come, Holy Spirit. Come and start to pour yourself afresh on us. Those who are in this auditorium, those who are watching online, come, Holy Spirit. Come, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Sweet Spirit of the living God, come. Come, we invite you in. We ask that we be immersed in you, Holy Spirit. Give us revelation because you're the revealer that we will understand as we commit to a pursuit of you, opening up our lives to you, Holy Spirit. And if there's anyone who is in this auditorium or watching who is not born again, you're not born again. You haven't been born of the Spirit. You haven't been born, as the Bible would say, of the water and of the Word. 
you are not a member of God's family. Because it's only by being born again that you can join God's family. And there might be someone who's saying, well, I've been in church, but this new birth that you speak about, this transformation, transformational new birth, I can't say I've experienced it. Well, why don't you make assurance double sure? If you would just, if you're in the auditorium, if you would slip your hands up with all heads bowed, if you are watching online, if you would open up your hearts and just say after me, Heavenly Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Even now, I know he's brooding over me. I accept the gift of salvation that your son Jesus is. I commit my life. Help me, God, to live in a life of obedience to you. Holy Spirit, as I make this confession, I declare I'm born again into God's family. And as I declare that, I receive you, Holy Spirit, into my life. Come and dwell in this body. Make it your home, Spirit of God. We give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Welcome to God's family and welcome to a journey at the end of which, especially if you follow these teachings for the next so many weeks, you will genuinely have a best friend as the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. Amen.